I rarely ever look at Facebook. I think I'm on there because I wanted to track down certain high school friends wondering whatever happened to them. I wanted to be available so that we could get together. But some of you send me uh, video clips or things that come from Facebook or YouTube. And this week I had two that were similar but different in that I got one from Dr. Joseph Mercola. Now, some of you may be aware of who Dr. Mercola is, but Dr. Mercola is a medical uh, doctor who is a proponent of alternative and natural uh, healing methods. And he really uh, is probably, I believe, probably the widest uh, read natural healing website in the world. Uh, he's very, very popular. And at once he used to promote the wearing of masks. Uh, but in this one, he was interviewing a scientist from Canada who is a physicist and a very esteemed scientist who was showing how they were not effective. Uh, and he was going on and on. Now, it just so happens that this individual works also by something similar to our civil, civil liberties uh, group here in the United States. And so he was, he was showing how they weren't as effective as uh, they, they could be. Uh, maybe some effective in preventing other people from getting infected, but not for protecting yourself. And Dr. Mercola then started out and ended with this. Perhaps this is now the time to promote civil disobedience. I also got another clip from someone else uh, that was a uh, Protestant minister in uh, Tennessee, and he was, boy, he was on fire and and very outspoken and everything. He was just condemning ministers who didn't have faith. Didn't have faith. You need to be like me and have faith. Boy, it goes on. It's hard for me to be a Protestant minister. Okay. Maybe not so hard. Anyway, he was uh, going on and on about he wasn't going to listen to any government rule. He wasn't going to anybody tell him that he couldn't open his churches up and go ahead and do everything they wanted to do. And if you're not doing that, you need to tell all your ministers to start following my example. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a guy that rebels against God's law, that rebels against the Sabbath, rebels against the holy days, rebels against the true nature of Jesus Christ, rebels against the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's telling everybody else not to be a Protestant? I mean, to be, I mean, it's going in. He was talking about you need to have this civil disability, civil dis, what's the word I want? Liz, you're supposed to help me. Disobedience, there you go. All right, there she goes. Okay, my ears are turned to her. Not enough, but sometimes. Okay. So anyway, it's just amazing to me that we get this coming right out at this time. There seems to be a whole mood of this is the way I see it. I'm right. You're wrong. Uh, and then people taking the high road and follow me. It reminds me of the uh, Pied Piper. The Pied Piper who comes into town and he's blowing this flute or something and all the gullible children just follow him right into their own destruction. Well, that's what's going on. I'm from Oregon and back in the 60s we said, don't Californiate Oregon. Ah, look at it now. Portland is just a flame and it's a beautiful city. And now Seattle, not only not defunding the police, but eliminating the police. Duh! How in the world 
this attitude of disrespect and rebelling against authority, it's just overwhelming because it's coming from a spirit, a spirit that's pervasive and a spirit that we are not immune to. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to just find the title of this sermon is We Are Walking by Faith. We are walking by faith. Now, before we get into it, let's define what faith even is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, uh, faith is the evidence or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I was asking um, one of the, I think it was in Trinidad, they said, Mr. Stafford, in a Bible study, Mr. Stafford, how can we have faith to move a mountain? I said, piece of cake. God tells me to move a mountain, I'll do it. Faith is doing what God says to do and believing that God knows what he's doing. It's not stepping out on your own. Faith is taking what God says and then moving forward with it. If you go down to verse 6, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, there's a benefit in believing God. There's a benefit in following God's instructions. There's a benefit. It's a rewarding thing. And after 70, excuse me, after 56 years in the church, I can tell you this, I've proven it. And it takes time and you grow in faith. And you come to realize, wow, that worked. Hmm, I'm going to try this. Well, that worked too. And over years, you come to realize that you can trust God's Word. And four times in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it, it comes up and it, it talks it very clearly that the just shall live by faith. And anyone who draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 38. You take a look and you realize, you can take an example. In John 4 and verse 46, there's a case of a man who was a noble man who was going to lose his child. And he'd heard about Jesus and he walks seven, mile, seven hours, seven hours from Capernaum to Canaan. And he gets there and he says, sir, this is in John 4, 46. He says, Sir, I'd like you to heal my, dog, my uh, child. And Christ says, Your child's healed. The man turns around, walks seven more hours back home, runs into some of the uh, people in his house, and he said, How's my child? And he says, Oh, your child was healed yesterday at, at 1 o'clock. When you have those kind of experiences, your faith grows. But that's faith. Faith is stepping out where God says something and you can trust it. And you can know that it's the way it's going to be. Now, my text for the day, okay, is 2 Corinthians 5.7. 2 Corinthians 5.7. 2 Corinthians 5.7. We read that we, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Now, 
Many of you, perhaps all of us, have heard that this is used as an exhortation or a command or a challenge. And we've heard sermons on this. And we've heard that we need to live by faith, not sight. We need to live by faith, not sight. We've heard Bible studies on it. And frankly, brethren, uh, that's not wrong, except that's not, what the, that's not what the verse says. That's not what the verse is saying. What it's talking about here, if you go back to verse 1 and come on through, you'll see that the Christians, it was Paul was talking about them living in a physical tent, the human body, uh, that uh, we look forward to the resurrection in a habitation in heaven and that we're going to be clothed with the spiritual. And it goes on down, and it gets to verse 7, and it says, this is a parenthetical thought stuck in there, and the word for, F-O-R, is part of the Greek language, which means, it's, it's interjected here, it's called a marker of clarification. In other words, Paul was going on and on, he says, you know, I'm going to pause here, and I'm going to explain this to you. And he interjects this one sentence in here, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You see what he's saying? As Christians, we are walking by faith. It's not that we need to, we shall, or we're going to. Is that we are walking by faith. It's quite a difference than the other contexts of it. And it's, it's really very, very important to understand this. Now, sermons are uh, tuned down. We used to be, what, an hour and what, two hours and a half. Then we got to an hour and a half. Now an hour and 15 minutes. And then even before the COVID, we were encouraged to get our sermons down to uh, less than an hour. And in this view of this context, uh, trying to uh, minimize our exposure, um, I'm trying to get mine down to 45 minutes. And so we, we aren't exposed. So... I could write many things here, but there are 12 ways we are living by faith. Now, today, 12 ways. Number one, when we repent and are baptized, we're living by faith. Because in Acts 2, verse 38, it says that you are to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. The faith is, if we are baptized, and if we have repented, that all of our sins are going to be wiped away, and all the stupid and dumb things we've done, and breaking God's law, and all the shame and the guilt, it's gone. It's washed away. We're clean. We're new. We don't have to go back and keep playing the old tapes all the time. We have a new beginning, a new start here. That's faith. Because we did what God said, we repented, and we were baptized, that now we have a new start. There's no evidence of that. God just says it, and we believe it. That's faith. There's another, next number two, and there could be more. But when you have hands laid on you, now, you don't receive the Spirit of God at baptism. Uh, we know multiple scriptures make it clear. Acts 19 is one I use quite frequently. But also Simon, who became Simon Magus, noticed that it was when hands were laid on. He had been baptized. 
you know, a lot of people when they get baptized, you realize that virtually every single person that I talk to that's a, uh, a go-to or a prospective member or whatever we want to call them wants to talk about baptism. And some people, when you're counseling, they say, I want to be baptized because God told me to. It kind of shook me when I first heard that. It's not entirely a wrong attitude. But you don't get the Spirit of God with baptism. You don't get the Spirit of God until you've had hands laid on you. Simon Magus had a wrong attitude. He was the head of his multi-level marketing downline. And he didn't want the uh, his downline to look at... Uh, the apostles as the upline, okay? He wanted to be the chief guy, so he asked to buy it so he didn't have to have hands laid on him because he didn't want to have hands laid on him by someone that Jesus Christ had appointed to lay hands on him. He didn't want to do that. He was self-willed, didn't want to do it, and so they didn't lay hands on him. Because when you have hands laid on you, you're simply saying this, I trust in faith that Jesus Christ is going to take care of me through his church. You don't have a taxi driver lay hands on the bus driver, the neighbor, some relative. You have a faithful minister of Jesus Christ who is a servant of Jesus Christ. Lay hands on you when he sees your attitude is not like Simon Magus's. And you are literally trusting God to take care of you through his church. That is a step of faith. A step of faith that lasts you for the rest of your life. And when you forget that, you forget the reason you even have God's Spirit in the first place. Number three. Well, I could go on. You know, it's very clear that Hebrews chapter 6. In verse 1 through 2, it talks about laying on hands one of the primary doctrines of the church. And we're not to forget it, but we're to build on it and move forward. Chapter 13, verse 17 of Hebrews says that we're to submit to those who are appointed to take care and help us. Because the ministry is going to be held accountable. The ministry is, the church is responsible for you. Number three, praying and Bible study. That's a step of faith. Every day when you're praying, you're kneeling down in most cases, and you're praying in faith that God cares about you, listens to you, and will heed your prayer. That's the step of faith. And studying, why would you study a book over and over? I probably studied the Bible I don't know, 50 times. Every year I go through it audibly, and this year I'm going through it with a new Bible marking it, and I've assigned myself three and a half pages a day, and I'll have the Bible finished in this year. And my wife wonders how come I'm not coming to bed sometime, and I said, i got three and a half pages to go. <laughs> and it puts me a little later, but I'm going to do it, and I'm going to stick to those three, and I'm going to make it. Why do I do that? Because I believe that faith comes by hearing and by the Word of God. And I believe the more that I can get the mind of God in my mind, the better off I'm going to be. The better off I'm going to be able to serve God's people. Bible study and prayer is a work of faith. 
and you're doing that already. There's a Matthew 5, it's called the Beatitude because it lists all these blessings. The blessings that Mr. Moloch talked about, uh, being merciful. Well, why would you want to be merciful? Uh, that's, that's, that, what's that going to get you? Why do you want to be uh, humble? Why do you want to be contrite? Why do you want to do this? It talks about it. Why do you want to seek righteousness? Why do you want to be hungering and thirsty for God's way? It's all faith. Because God said it, we're going to do it. We trust God that he knows what's best for us. We trust that. We don't get it sometimes. We don't get it sometimes until you look back and say, oh, now I got it. I tell you, brethren, there's times I've made two big mistakes, more than that, but two big ones in my career in the church. One of them came commercially. Uh, I was an outstanding salesman. But I could only sell what I was really passionately believed in. And I was in New Zealand, and I was working for a company who was selling franchises to a computer-aided uh, assisted learning program before it became what it is now. And I recruited people, and they spent $10,000 to take up a franchise. And it turned out it was a scam. The guy was pocketing the money I got and closed the business down and ran off with the money. It really hurt me, but it taught me a big lesson that I could be sincerely wrong. I did something like that in the church, and I made an emotional decision one time, and I tried to back it up by logic, and I bounced around for a while, still in a church of God, but I realized that and we're practicing the government of God. I was losing my zeal for doing God's work. And I had to suck swamp water. And I went back and I told Mr. Meredith, Sir, I made a big mistake. You know what he said? I bet you learned a lot. I not only learned a lot about others, I learned a lot about myself. And I can make a mistake and be sincerely wrong if I do it my way. The next one is for Sabbath and the feast. They're both commanded convocations. As for some reason, I've never understood uh, the Adventist church, which keeps the Sabbath, they say, but they don't, they don't keep the holidays. Well, Jesus Christ did. I've got a golf buddy. He asked me why I uh, keep the feast, why I keep the Sabbath, why I don't eat pork. I said, because Jesus didn't. That's all I have to say to him. That's my only answer. Well, did Jesus Christ keep the feast? Yes. Did the apostles keep the feast? Yes. Well, why do I keep the feast? Because they did, and I'm a Christian. I'm going to live the way they live. That's faith. This would be my 56th Feast of Tabernacles. It's gone so very fast, it's hard for me to believe. But it's, it talks about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Why would anybody want to not be at the feast? Now, there are cases where I, where I know that people can be ill, and uh, that there can be uh, legitimate reasons that they would normally counsel about. Um, but just to flippantly just say, well, I'm not going to keep the commanded assembly because I don't feel like going, uh, doesn't make sense to me. Living by faith is stepping forward out of your comfort zone. 
Number five, tithing. Tithing, it says in Malachi 3, verse 10, he says, you're to prove me now here. What does that mean? Do what I say and test it and see how it works for you. Well, I decided, you know what? It was 56 years ago, I sat down how much, well, of course, tithes is established, but I sat down how much a percentage my offering should be because offerings are according to you have been blessed, and the word according to, to me, meant a percentage, so I set a percentage. And originally, I had uh, my wife do it, uh, and then when it became automatic banking and stuff, the bank does it for me automatically. So I've never in 56 years had to make that decision again. I don't make it every paycheck. I don't make it every year. I don't have to. I made it once 56 years ago. Done deal. And if you knew my background, my wife never worked outside the home ever. When I married her, I asked her to be the mother of our children and not to work until the kids were gone. She said, fine. So I've never, never done that, and yet God, every time I turned around, I had one minister tell me they've never seen anybody who can fall into an outhouse and come out smelling like a rose, like me, because I tied, and because God loves me. And I know that he just knows how simple I am, and I need all the help I can get. So tithing is it is it is it living in faith, anointing. When we're sick, you know you can say, "Well, I'm just going to go to God myself." You know, I've had that happen. But I asked Mr. Ames about that. I said, "Is that the right answer?" He said, "No, it's it's either or. It's, it's not either or. It's both. You cut your hand off in a saw, or you're lying out in the highway, or something. You're going to be." calling for God to intervene, but you're also then going to ask for ministers to anoint you because that's the instructions it says in James 5. It says the prayer of faith and will heal you. Could be immediately, could be eventually. Some of you know that I didn't plan to be here this summer. I didn't know I'd even make my 75th birthday, which is coming this month. And it looks like I'm going to make it now because God has intervened and given me back my energy it hasn't lowered my golf scores, but uh, my energy's back, and I'm, uh, I'm feeling great. The doctors can't believe it. They look at my blood, and they said, you shouldn't feel good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel great. It's all due to my wife taking care of me. You know, the members over there in Babetown told her that she needed to take better care of me, so she did, and she is. Was that right? Isn't that what it was? Oh, it was girls, ladies here. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, she does everything she can, which is difficult for me to hold to stop me from doing things which may be not the best for me. Premarriage counseling and counseling. Why do you get counseling? The church has said before you're engaged, you need to get premarriage counseling. Why? So you don't get involved with your heart and your emotions at that early stage. That's, that is faith that you're doing it the way God instructs us to do it, it's faith. Marriage is a real step in faith. You take two human beings that are so different that you can't believe it, and you have, it's, a, it's a union of two forgivers because you're going to have plenty of practice. And marriage is a step in faith that you're doing it God's way, and you grow. You grow in love. You grow far beyond when you're first married. 
Because God's blessing, because you're moving forward in faith and you're forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Dying is, is an act of faith. First Thessalonians 4, verse 13, that we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. You know, dying is part of this life experience that we're involved in. It's part of the deal. That when we're given life, God just said, okay, I'm going to give you life, but it's going to have an expiration date on it. And I want to see what you do with life to see whether I'm going to give you eternal life or not. That's as simple as life is. It's pretty simple. It doesn't just keep going on and on and on. In Acts chapter 24, verse 15, it says that there is, there will be a resurrection of the dead. Well, that takes faith to know and to see that and to believe that. Number 10, the food we eat. Now, how is that faith? Well, you know, what's good today may not be good tomorrow, according to the scientists. I know one time they were saying kale was so good. Now they come out and say it's one of the worst things you can eat unless it's organic. It's got more pesticides and herbicides on it than any other vegetable, unless it's organic. Well, that, that was new. And then what about eggs? No, you can't do it because they're horrible. Cholesterol. Now eggs are good. I mean, they go, man doesn't know, but God does. And why do we care? Because in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, it says we're the temple of God's spirit, that God has given us this body to take care of to see what kind of a job we're going to do. Are we going to take care of it with knowledge? Because it goes on in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17, said if we don't and we defile it, it's going to defile us. We're going to get kicked back. Now, people, I, I've studied health and nutrition uh, since I was 20 years old, so over 50 years. And I've really studied so many different diets, and I've come very simply to see that the best diet overall, unless you have some particular health problem, is the Jesus diet. He knew what he was doing. We call it the Mediterranean diet now, uh, except for the clams and oysters and stuff they put in there. But he knew that all along. God knew that. He gave us an example that we can follow. Peace of mind, number 11. Peace of mind. Let's see, Philippians 4, verse 7. Philippians 4, in verse 7. And the peace of God, do, do what God's saying. He says, uh, rejoice, verse 4. And I say again, rejoice. You know, having a, a joyful spirit uh, actually is good for your health. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I see humor in almost everything. But it's taken seven years for the brethren here of Houston to get my jokes. And uh, so, you know, I can do it now, but, but you know, you got to be careful who you're, you know, they don't know, but I was, my wife told me, or someone told me one time, uh, only, only, I'm only serious when I'm up here. You know, I just, I just, life's got so many things that are funny about it, but it says that we're rejoice and rejoice always. And then it goes on to say, don't be anxious for anything, but rather give prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
and let your request be known to God. In verse 7, I, I must admit, I was getting stressed yesterday on the seventh time that I gave that little seven-minute talk. Ah, and I had other work to do. I had to go to Baytown and take care of a, the rental hall over there and some other issues that were coming up. And I was actually feeling it, and I just said, help, I need some help here. And But look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. The peace of God. And yet you realize, brethren, that people right now are breaking down suicide, anxiety, frustration, fear, anger. It's, it's, it's coming to a head. And it's going to get worse. And yet there are some people who just whistle in the dark. They're completely oblivious. Oh, this has happened before. No, it hasn't happened before in our time. And they don't realize. I had one friend of mine, not in the church, say, Oh, life can't get any better than this. Well, he's got three retirements. Three retirements. Their house is paid off. Uh, he was just going on and on. Life can't get any better than this. I'm thinking to myself, Well, buddy, you have no idea what's going on in other people's lives. Life can't get any better for him, but it can get a whole lot worse, and it will. And see if he's tough enough then to be able to handle that. So the peace of mind, that's faith. That when we live God's way, that we can have peace of mind. And it's, listen, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It could take the rest of your life to work through these long-time, lifetime habits. And God isn't looking to, when we hit the finish line, he's looking to see the direction we're headed from where we began. And some people started nowhere near with the solid foundation that others have. God wants to see that you're headed in the right direction. And that takes faith to do it God's way. And that's the number 12 point I have is this Christian living. The way we work, the way we play, the words we use, all is a work of faith that we literally believe in John 10.10 10, that Christ came to bring us life and to bring it abundantly. And so it will even overflow. You know, I, I like this. Uh, Ephesians 5 is quite a powerful chapter, but going on down to chapter 5 and verse 15, he says, redeeming the time. Don't, uh, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of God is. Well, you know, this is, this is why uh, my son years ago, he heard someone give a sermon. He says, Dad, that was a good sermon, but what does it have to do with me? Well, that kind of stuck with me because I realized that everything that's God's word, we're to expound it, but to make it applicable to life today. It's got to apply to us. It's a way of life. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a belief. It's a way of life, the way that we live. So, what makes it so difficult for some people? Because to live faith takes courage and it takes strength. And the bottom, the last thing I said in this little talk that I gave that, that may be on the, the, behind the work, but I said, because I was talking about the brethren in the Caribbean and what they're going through and how they really pulled together to help each other. 
support each other, providing each other with food. And I mean, they really have helped in a tremendous way each other. But I said it reminds me of when I was in high school and I was a varsity wrestler. And I would, if you were going to get pinned, you look up in the ceiling and there was a slogan written up there. And it said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, brethren, what's happening now is when the going gets tough and it's going to get tougher, the faithful will get stronger. We are going to grow in faith because we're living in faith. But it's something that requires, as Mr. Meredith would put it, total unconditional surrender. That's the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus that we read about in Acts 19. It's a total unconditional surrender. Instead of going my way, the way I see it, this is my opinion, here's what... No. It's a total unconditional surrender, trusting Jesus Christ to take care of us. And there are tremendous blessings and rewards that come by that journey. And yet, if you take a look biblically and you understand, you take a look at Abraham, why did it take God so many decades before he finally gets to Genesis 22, verse 12, and he says, now I know I can trust you. Because, you see, God knows every thought we have. I covered this in the Bible study more thoroughly. He knows every thought when we have it. But your thoughts are not sin unless you let them grow. And you, the next thing comes is your feelings and your emotion. And if you catch yourself in a wrong emotion, it's because you have to change your thinking. And you can do that with God's help. You can change your stinking thinking. And you won't have to go into that bad feeling. But on the other hand, if you get into that feeling or that emotion, anger, rage, jealousy, whatever else it may be, lust, before you act on it, there's another space there where God's Spirit can intervene. And I mentioned the Bible say, when I get a wrong thought, I go like this. Oh, I don't want that thought. That's a wrong thought. And you can get it out. And that's not sin to have the wrong thought. If you mull on it, work on it, everything, that can become sin because it gets into your feelings, your emotions, and then your actions. And so it's very, very important. You take a list. That's why God had to wait so many years for Abraham before he said, okay, now I know. I know what your thought was. You didn't want to do it. And you thought about not doing it, but you trusted me, so you were going to go ahead and do it. Now I know I can trust you. And that's what God's doing with you and me. He wants to know whether he can trust us. And you can go on and you can read about Joseph. You can read about uh, Daniel. You can read about Daniel's friends. All of these individuals were tried and tested to the place that God got to the place. Noah, look at Noah. He's just scooting along, everything's fine, and God says, I want you to build a yacht, build a big barge. Well, there's, why? I'm a long ways from the ocean. Oh, no. No, you need to do what I'm saying. Yes, sir, I don't get it, but I'll do it. And sure enough, then he got it. And that's what really happens to most of us. Later on, we look back and say, ah, oh, now I got it. Now I see it. It's the same thing as 
who's going to be elected president? We all have our feelings. Everyone has their feelings and opinions. But only God knows who he wants up there, who's going to speed things up or slow things down the way he wants it. You don't know. You just don't. And I like what Mr. Weston said. He's not about ready to vote against what God wants. And we care. And we're to groan and moan when we see what's going on. I love Oregon. But I can't live there anymore. And even if I had a choice to live there, I'd stay right here. Because right now, I still feel like I'm in America. And I, I guess that can change too. But uh, I do appreciate uh, Texas very much. I wasn't born here, but I did get here as soon as I could. And... Um, so anyway, that's really what we see going on, that God had to try and test these people. Really, in the recovery movement, which um, has many sound principles in it, they have a very brief little slogan, let go, let God. It's so hard for human beings to let go of control. We want to be in control. We don't want to move out of our comfort zone. We want to stay right there. I have talked to individuals who are in spokesman club, got harshly corrected, and that's it. I'm never going to go in spokesman club again. I've shared with you my story about Betty Palmer. I hope I never meet her again. But Betty Palmer in the fourth grade was my, I was going steady with Betty Palmer. I mean, that was it. My lifetime love right there. And in the fifth grade, Bonnie Burkhardt came and said that Betty wanted her necklace back. Well, that, that was kind of hurtful. But then the next day I saw Rodney Rep, excuse me, Rod, Rodney Lee wearing Betty's necklace. Wow, that was crushed. I said, that's it. I'm done with women. That's it. You know, God wants you to step out of your comfort zone and you, you to move ahead. But you can't do that being in control all the time. You just can't. You've got to move. We've got to move on. And God's going to see that we're going to be strengthened by our trials. We're not going to falter. We're not going to fail. We're going to become stronger in growing in faith. There was a lady in Arkansas, and it was another girlfriend. Uh, this one I trusted because she was 84 years old. And I needed a girlfriend because I was by myself there and I was, I had six churches and no other elder. Period. No other elder. Six churches. I had a great team of deacons. I called them my speaking deacons. And, uh, they, they were, they were super. But Granny Crowther was, was a real friend. And she, she, when I was going through some things there, she made this statement. And I've got it on a plaque. She said, if you don't think Jesus Christ can run his church, then you don't know Jesus Christ. You look at David, and we talk about the, the Philadelphians in Revelation 3. The thing that sets them aside from all the other eras of God's church were basically two things. They had a real zeal for stepping forward when God opened the door. They were going to go ahead and they were going to do it. But the second thing is they had the key of David. The key of David, we often say, is church government, but... You can make it more personal that if you read David's account, you'll notice something outstanding about him. He trusted God to be involved in his affairs. He didn't need to take matters in his own hands. He didn't need to solicit a whole democratic group to, well, we're not the only ones that feel this way. By the way, that's an American thing. It was also a Korah thing. 
And it wasn't doctrine. It was they didn't appreciate the way Moses was administering things. It's not in the Caribbean. They are much more compliant than Americans who had a tea party or the Canadians. We are just an outspoken kind of a people that are going to share our opinions whether you want to hear it or not. And frankly, brethren, that's not a wrong thing if you choose a confidential person who's solid that you can talk to honestly and openly and let you vent. And frankly, um, to have a person or two like that is really very beneficial. But not to talk openly to other people that's going to put a stumbling block before them. And you may come through it fine, but they won't. And Christ says it's better than a millstone wrapped around your neck and then put a stumbling block before one of these little ones. So I'm not saying you'll stuff it if you have attitudes. We all have attitudes. And I appreciate Mr. Dever. He's got an attitude. Oh, excuse me. But he can, he can call me, and I, I know him. And I trust him. And I know Joe Bueno. And I can trust him. And I've got my advanced leadership group that are like my council of elders. They are open, honest, and direct. And they can bring their opinions up, and we can listen to it and air it. And that's what you need. You need to be able to have that kind of opening. But you've got to be real careful or you can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you start. I like what Mr. Dever wrote me one time. I think it was Mr. Dever. It was a slogan that says, I spent most of my life regretting the last ten minutes that I've said. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, that's what happens. But we're human beings and we are uh, Americans. And we, we have a right to express our opinion, even though no one wants to hear it unless it agrees with theirs. But we're going to say it anyway. So many people use a spiritual crutch. Instead of really trusting God, they get other people to support them, or they go to self-help kind of books, or they go the dependence on a, a substance, uh, alcohol or, or marijuana or something, or they get worldly distractions that give them off. They don't have to focus on what's going on. They get distracted so they don't have to focus on it. Or basically the real carnal crutch is carnal reasoning. Well, this is the way I see it. And it's interesting in Matthew 14 that Christ, Christ had this, uh, well, I'll just use it, walking on water. Matthew 14, verse 22. You know the story. But here is Christ is there and he says, Peter, come over and walk over to me. Peter said, yes, sir, boss. He gets out there and he starts walking and then he starts looking around by sight. And he's thinking to himself, wait a second. I can't do this. This isn't right. And he sinks. You see, he looked at the circumstances. And I have talked to too many people that come to me and say, well, if this keeps going the way it's going, this is what's going to happen. And I say to that person, oh, are you a prophet? They're putting themselves, projecting like they know what's going to happen and they have not the slightest idea. They're not prophets. They're not prophetesses. I had one lady that did that, and I actually said that to her, and she left the church. About a year and a half later, she came back. She said, Mr. Stafford, I was really wrong. I was really wrong. And she came back, faithful member in Arkansas. Sometimes we make mistakes, and we learn from those mistakes, but we've got to be careful if we pull others down with it. And so the human reasoning takes over, and then it's backed up by emotion. And we, most decisions that people make are made based on emotion and then backed up by their reasoning. 
the emotion comes first. So when we take a look at this, we've got to ask ourselves, when you look at a car, and who's, who's in control of driving that car? The passenger or the driver? Now, I, I kind of joke, in England especially, uh, the new cars over here have this alarm system if you're, someone's in your blind spot. But I had that in England already. It was, it was my wife. She would go, ah! So I didn't have to even invest in that extra feature in the car because she was sitting right beside me and she was going to be my blind spot detector. And uh, so I, but I was still in control. <laughs> What's going on? And then you need to ask yourself, who's driving your life? I really like the way a close, a friend of mine, he had someone he really loves who was getting bent out of shape over something. And this is, this is a newly baptized, this is not an old long-time member, but he just asked, he said, well, where are you getting these ideas? It was very wise, actually. Where are you getting these ideas? So who's driving you? What's driving your life? And then you come to the flag, you come to realize you surrender to Jesus Christ. It's not easy, but it leads to freedom. It leads to peace. You don't have to be all irritated. God's in control. He's going to take care of things. Sometimes in his timing and not yours. In fact, always in his timing and not yours. But then you look back and you realize, wow, that was a good deal. So we can't will ourselves on this. We have to stay close to God to be able to do this and read his promises of what he does and go back to when hands were laid on us and what we did trust. And it's a daily thing. We have to, just like Mr. Moloch was talking about daily putting on mercy. We have to daily come back and surrender daily to God. And so Christ, in this final scripture here in Luke 22, verse 42, Christ was facing the biggest trial of his life. In this case, he was a prophet, so he knew where it was going. And he said, he didn't say, Father, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Is there any way out of this? And then he just said this, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Brethren, we're, we're headed for some times when we're going to have people who are very close to us that can actually remind us of what we went through when we were baptized in Luke 14, that we don't put husband, wife, brother, sister, even yourself ahead of trusting God. And there are some of us in this room and others who will be. If you keep going the way you're going, you're not going to be my friend. I'm going to leave you. Other threats like that. Those days are coming. And you're going to have to go back and remember that you made that commitment at baptism, that you trust Jesus Christ, and that you are going to be strong and you're going to be courageous, and you're going to do all you can to help and encourage others to be faithful, because we are daily walking by faith.